Welcome to Caregiver Chats. I'm Dr. Lakeland. Today, we're diving into the second part of a three-part series on caregiving relationships with a discussion about spousal caregiving. So stay tuned and we'll get into it. Caregiver Chats is a podcast designed to help those caring for older adults find balance, support, resources, and encouragement. If you're caring for an aging family member or friend, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Dr. Lakeland. I'm a gerontologist and caregiving advocate for Home Instead, an honor company. I know how busy caregivers are, and I'm so grateful that you're taking time to listen. Last episode, I talked with Jenny Monroe, an adult daughter and caregiver. She cared for her mom who passed away from Alzheimer's disease and is now caring for her dad who's on hospice. If you're an adult child caring for a parent, you will want to go back and be sure to listen to that episode. Today, I'm really looking forward to the topic of spousal caregiving in our three-part series. We know that spousal caregivers make up about 11% of all caregiving relationships. Many people in a spousal relationship or partnership have an additional layer of loyalty and obligation. They also experience changes in the relationship dynamics that can take a heavy toll on the care partner. I'm looking forward to diving deeper into this topic with Laura Whitman, president and board member of Well Spouse Association, an organization that's dedicated to supporting the partners of people living with chronic illness or disability. And I want to tell you a little about, a little about Laurel because she's amazing. Uh, Laurel joined Well Spouse Association as a member in 2014 with a particular interest in reaching younger spouses like herself. And she now serves as board president and co-facilitates its Younger Well Spouse Support Group. Laurel and her husband, Eduardo, have been married for more than 15 years. Eddie was diagnosed with MS in 1998. And while he was in his early 20s and along his journey, Laurel has been supporting him as his care partner. And I'll let you, I'll let Laurel herself tell a little bit more of her story in just a bit. But I want to first stop and say, welcome, Laurel. So excited to have you. Thank you. I am delighted to be here today. Oh, well, the pleasure is certainly all mine. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your story and your caregiving journey. So would you mind kind of kicking us off uh, by sharing? That's, I'd be happy to. So my story began with Eddie when we met and he was 28, I was 22. Um, it was a, you know, a fairly typical <laughs> love story, I guess, um, except that on our third date, he told us that, or he told me that he had MS. And I happened to know a little bit about it. We, we actually were watching uh, West Wing at that time, at that moment, and uh, the, the president on that show had just been diagnosed and Eddie used that as, as his opening um, to tell me that that this was the case. And I, I kind of said, all right, well, that's fine. Let, it doesn't change anything. Let's <laughs> kind of keep going. And, uh, you know, it turned into a relationship and we ended up married. Um, his his disability did progress pretty quickly. He was, uh, he was working full time when we met and he was, you know, totally mobile. Sometimes he would get a little more tired. He might walk a little bit like he had had a couple of drinks uh, from time to time. And that was primarily what I saw as his disease. But it, it did progress quickly. By the time we got married um, three years later, when he was 31, he needed a cane or a wheelchair. 
And within uh, probably six or seven years, he wasn't really able to leave the bed um, under his own his own power, and uh, he has needed 24-hour care for about the last 15 years. So it's been you know quite a journey for us, um, a little unusual even among people with with MS, um, and that's you know why I was grateful fi- to find well spouse who could provide a lot of support along the way uh, for what has really been the the you know the toughest the toughest journey we've both been on in different ways. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that beautiful love story. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and for sharing just kind of about the, the disease progression. I know mm-hmm. that everyone's caregiving journey looks very different and it kind mm-hmm. of depends on, you know, what uh, the care recipient is is managing in terms of their health. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of helpful for us to understand your journey. Mm-hmm. And then I love that you got connected to WellSpouse. So could you mm-hmm. tell us more about what WellSpouse is and what their mission is? Sure, I'd be happy to. So WellSpouse is a 35-year-old organization. It is the only organization that supports the partners of people living with chronic illness or disability. There are a lot of really terrific uh, disease-oriented organizations and, you know, general caregiving organizations, but we focus specifically on the partners because we think that they have a special role that they are playing in this journey and they have uh, challenges and a need for community that's a little different than the person who has the illness or disability themselves. So I always joke with people that if if you have found well spouse after doing a middle of the night google search because you were <laughs> panicking and can't can't take it anymore you found us the same way that i did um You know, we are a small organization, but I think we have a really outsized impact in caregivers' lives. We do hear about that from the people who end up um, joining our community and and staying around for years. Um, We are disease agnostic. Um, We are stage agnostic. We have some members whose partners don't have diagnoses yet. That may be because they're a little earlier in the journey, or it may be that they have something, you know, unusual that, um, you know, doesn't have a label yet. And we support people all the way through to, for what many of us may be, a, a, you know, a terminal um, portion of the, the disease journey. And we also support people after their partners may have passed. Um, and then a special community are people who have uh, potentially divorced their partners. Mm. Um, and that might be for relationship reasons, but it can also be for financial reasons, which is a, you know, particularly unusual dynamic yeah. of spousal caregiving. Wow. So we, we support everyone. Well, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that Well Spouse exists. Uh, yeah. And I love that you really meet caregivers or care partners wherever they are on their journey mm-hmm. and support them even after uh, mm-hmm. and even just in your description of well spouse there's so many topics I want to dive into <laughs> oh my yep. goodness this is going to be such a great conversation I cannot wait um, but before we really kind of dig into some of the differences and challenges um In a previous episode of this podcast, I talked about how people don't always identify as a caregiver or care partner. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, do you find this to be true for spousal caregivers or caregiving partners as well? Yes, I think it's actually probably more true for spousal caregivers. I know it was Mm. certainly true for me because there is a real blurring of the nature of our relationship with our partner, you know, separate from the illness and what happens during the course of an illness. You know, uh, uh, you hope, I think, in most marriages that there is some kind of balance, right? Mm -hmm. It may not always be 50-50 at all times, but somebody is there to help you pick up the, the slack when you need it and vice versa. In many of our relationships, you know, that that balance is kind of 
it shifts in ways that are maybe not as perceptible to you while they're happening. You know, you might start with a partner who's able, you know, in my case, might mow the lawn or go buy groceries. And mm-hmm. then over time, all of that falls to you. And so I think it's, it's, it can be very, the caregiving role can be very insidi- uh, insidious uh, in that way, in a way that's a little different than uh, other caregiving relationships. Mm-hmm. And then I think a lot of it is typical of all kinds of caregiving that you may not feel like a caregiver, but, you know, from the outside, I think we would certainly think you are. You know, mm-hmm. you're a caregiver if you go to doctor's appointments and you're just there to listen or support your partner or drive them or, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be present for them in that part of the experience. You're a caregiver if you're paying all the bills and raising the kids and, and um, you know, taking care of all the things around the house, which is, you know, a, I think a it, that's more readily identified with other kinds of caregiving because it's more unusual. You know, if a, a, a daughter goes and pays her mom's bills, that feels like caregiving. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> it's a little different, you know, with our, our kinds of relationship. Yeah, well, and, and another term that I've talked about on this podcast is caregiver creep, how like mm-hmm, those activities yeah. just kind of creep up on you. And before yep. you know it, you're in this full-time caregiving role and you haven't really taken the time to acknowledge it. Yeah, no, I, that's that's exactly my experience. As I was basically a caregiver from the start of our relationship in mm. one way or another with Eddie, even though it wasn't apparent to me. And it wasn't apparent until I was kind of <laughs> hitting rock bottom in the role, feeling very isolated, very lonely. You know, his needs had gotten increasingly medical, increasingly complex. Um, and it wasn't, I, th- I think, until I kind of hit that point that I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I, now I know what's been going on here. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a label that I I immediately associated myself with. And certainly not as, you know, somebody in their early 30s, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it feels very different, I think, to uh, people in, in my age group, which was why it was important to me and remains important to me to make sure well spouse is reaching, you know, partners in, the, in that age bracket. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think when you think of, of caregivers, you think of kind of like a middle-aged woman mm-hmm. yep. who's caring, caring for, for an, an parent. elderly parent. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and, and when we look at all of kind of the statistics around caregiving, there's so much great information out there. The mm-hmm. National Alliance for Caregiving uh, puts out okay. a study, and I know that they kind of dissect all that information. And And Home Instead has sponsored that study over the years. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that study. It's terrific, yep. Yeah, and, and we know that there's about 48 million Americans that provide care, and that cl- includes really all types of caregivers. But of that number, about 6 million are providing care to a partner or spouse due to illness or disability. Um, And we've talked a little bit about the differences, but um, what are some other characteristics that Mm -hmm. we see unique to the spousal caregiving community? Sure. So as you noted, um, the caregivers in in this demographic tend to be a little bit older because you tend to be age matched with your mm. your care recipient. So, you know, obviously as people age, um, the likelihood of, of having a chronic disability uh, or illness impact you increases as well. So they do tend to be older, but not exclusively. About half of the spousal caregiving population is under the age of 65. Mm. So that points to the, you know, the fact that this does impact people, it can impact people from a very young age as it did in, in my particular situation. I love this one, 19% of kids of uh, spousal caregivers have kids at home. Wow. That's not a demographic you you think about a lot. Or there are no. people who are 
literally, you know, going down this this journey and this path and stepping up and, and taking on, in some cases, 100% of the parenting role for young mm-hmm. kids and dealing with their emotional journey as well. Um, so, that's, that's, again, it doesn't fit that mental picture a lot of us have for spousal caregivers, but there are a lot of people out there that, that fit that profile. They also are more likely to be men, which makes sense Ooh, if you think okay. intuitively about uh, how often women are uh, the, the people who have um, a lot of the, in particular, long-standing autoimmune diseases, mm. right, which is kind of the case MS is, is more typical for, for women than men. So, you end up with a lot of um, male partners who are, um, who are the spousal caregivers in that case. Um, you know, and then there are some demographics around financial impacts and, you know, educational impacts, that sort of thing. I think some of those probably are, are responses to the caregiving role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they tend to be a little bit less uh, financially um, supported and they tend to have lower education levels. That may be because they are in this caregiving role and, and that, you know, impacts their uh, both their financial situation and their ability to, to progress in their education as they might want. Thank you for sharing more about the this kind of cohort of caregivers. I would have, I, I you know, I wouldn't have thought about you know males being more common and mm-hmm. and because again we think of uh, females as usually stepping into a caregiving role and mm-hmm. and just in um, you know what I've learned about male versus female caregivers. The, the support that they need looks different mm-hmm. and the acceptance of help mm-hmm. is different for both groups. So yep. uh, very important to note about this specific population. And, um, you know, I also, one of the other things you mentioned that struck me is that they have young kids at home. And I, I talk mm-hmm. about sandwich caregivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about, you know, in those scenarios where it's again, the adult daughter who has kids, but caring for mom or dad, but Oh man, Oh man, the role of you know being the yeah. spousal caregiver and then being a hundred percent of the parent role—that's mm-hmm. got to be really, really challenging. Yeah, it is. That is definitely something we we spend a lot of time in our support groups talking about. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. So what I'm gathering is the role of a spousal caregiver, uh, caregiving partner, is very unique, uh, and we've talked about some of the differences so far. And one specific difference is that they're often providing more care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can you just share with us a little bit of, more about why that's true? I mean, I'm getting a yeah. sense as to why it's true just based on yeah. our conversation, but would love for you to share more. Yeah, some of it I think is the the nature of the illnesses, um, and you know our members, uh, the number one illness type that brings them or that they come to well spouse with is uh, some kind of neurological disease. So think of mm-hmm. diseases like Parkinson's, um, multiple sclerosis. I would put in that category. It's sort of neurological, sort of autoimmune, uh, ALS. Um, you know, and some of these diseases last a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, then you think of memory loss. That is, uh, I think, the, the number two area that we we have members um, that are, are facing that as their challenge. Again, that's a number of years of, of care that they're providing. They also tend to be progressive. And so, you know, you might start with relatively minor tasks in this role, and then over time, um, they become, you know, <laughs> candidly quite overwhelming mm-hmm. uh, for one person to be providing. So, the nature of care tends to, to 
pick up more of what we call the activities of daily living. So these yeah. are the the ways that people um, can demonstrate their personal independence, you know, and, and that can be both literally, you know, can they dress themselves? Can they feed themselves? Um, as well as some of the uh, independent living activities, like can they pay their own bills? Can they grocery mm-hmm. shop? You know, the ways that they might be able to live alone. Um, so we tend to, to help with more of those activities of daily living. And then our care also tends to be more medically intensive. So for instance, in my husband's case, he was just recently hospitalized with an infection and he got through it, you know, with the help of some terrific IV antibiotics and they sent him home. Well, now that he's home, I'm still helping him um, be administered IV antibiotics three times a day. I am a finance person by training. (laughs) I do not have nursing skills, um, except for what I've picked up along the way here, but I am, you know, cleaning off the hub of his pick line and connecting the IV antibiotic to it and making sure the, the tubing line has no bubbles because that would be, you know, potentially catastrophic um, and running that antibiotic so that he gets the care he needs. And in the past, that's care that would have been performed in a hospital setting yeah. or with nurses coming in. Um, so that's some, you know, just a, a small piece of the, the care that I might be asked to perform given his, um, his condition now. We also tend to do this for a longer period of time. So, you know, as you think about somebody caring for maybe an elderly parent, um, you might be, the the window of that illness might be shorter. So Eddie's MS, you know, we're 25 years into this now. And that's not at all uncommon for Mm. these kinds of diseases. And then we have a lot of people who... We're seeing this more and more as we have better treatments for a lot of the diseases that um, in the past might have been fatal or terminal, they've become chronic. So Mm -hmm. we have members who, you know, their partner had cancer um, and they treated it and they got better, which is great, except maybe the treatment left them with some kind of impact that's now going to be permanent. Um, So they don't have cancer anymore. That's good news, but it doesn't mean their life has gone back to anything that looked like it did, you know, prior to the diagnosis. And that can go on for years and years, you know, when you're in your 30s you're looking out, you know, again, for decades of um, potential caregiving, it's, it's, it's scary. It's yeah. terrifying. Wow. Gosh, that, that, that is um, important to consider is just the longevity of this mm-hmm. caregiving role. And, you know, when you look again, back at the statistics, spousal caregivers tend to provide care for longer periods of time. And based mm-hmm. on what you just shared, that makes, that makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense, but I'm sure that there are you know, challenges that come along with that, because, you know, it's, it's not a sprint. It's right. a marathon. You have to right. make sure that you're taking care of yourself along the way so you can continue mm-hmm. to show up and be there for your spouse or your partner. So any other challenges, you know, in terms of just the longevity of the caregiving role that is important to note? Yeah, I think one thing, you know, I, I can speak to, again, somewhat personally, is how the role changes over time. It's it's not a static role. You know, especially with a progressive disease, you you definitely go through different periods of the of the caregiving journey and your needs change. I think that's one of the ways that well spouse in fact can be so helpful. Um, you know, in particular our support groups where you build you know, little mini communities mm-hmm. around you um, and the meetings, you know, take place over years and years and years. So they're really with you for different points of that journey. You know, when I think back to when I was first learning about MS and, and Eddie's needs were starting to increase, I was very much, and I think this is pretty typical, I was in this uh, research mode. I was going to fix it. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's we were yeah. different somehow than all of the other people with MS who have come before us. And there was a fix out there we just hadn't found. You know, there was some drug we hadn't tried. You know, and that's that's avoidance behavior, right? It's it's kind of not sitting with that grief that you might otherwise be feeling. Um, mm. 
you know, and that's one phase of the journey. And then you kind of move into this acceptance phase, but I don't think it's always a good acceptance. That might be kind of the rock bottom part. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't have a name for it exactly, but it, that was the point at which I started reaching out and saying, I can't do this alone anymore. You know, there there aren't any fixes. There is no white knight coming to save us from this. And in fact, it's getting worse. So, you know, how do I kind of settle in and make this work for the duration? And then now, you know, it's, I, you know, I've accepted you know, our, our marriage is going to look very different than I thought it would. And the roles we, we both have and the support I get from him will, will have to look different. Doesn't mean I like it, but, you know, there is more of that real acceptance. But, you know, every so often something comes up and it, you know, it kind of shocks you out of that again. Like, oh boy, here's a new thing I have to learn. Here's, <laughs> you know, some <laughs> new emotion that that's coming up as, as part of that journey. So, you know, that's one thing I think about when I think about the length of that journey is it's not it's not a static emotional response you're having along yeah. the way. You have a lot of different emotions at different points in time. Gosh, I can only imagine. And I know uh, we planned to talk more about those emotions in, mm-hmm. in just a bit, but uh, yeah. earlier you had mentioned, so we talked about, you know, it, it's a long journey for many. And do you come across care partners or spouses that feel like they really don't have a choice and they kind of feel yeah. stuck in this role because I would think, yeah. you know, you, you marry someone or you commit to them and you take those vows of for better or for worse. And, and then you find yourself in a really challenging situation. And, um, you mentioned kind of the emotional journey and kind mm-hmm. of the, the grief and the acceptance. And, um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. And if you see kind of that, um, the, caregivers often feeling like they don't have a choice but to do this role. Yeah, that's that's very common. And that's, uh, it's probably somewhat specific, again, to the nature of our role. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the first thing people will say when they come in, usually feeling, you know, some some amount of guilt or shame about how they're feeling towards their partner. And, you know, I said for better, for worse, and yet I don't want to do this anymore. And, that's a, you know, that's a real tough challenge. I think everyone wants out of this situation at some point, you know, they want to be able to kind of walk out the door and, and leave it behind. And yet, of course, we don't want to impact our partner. And, you know, we know the costs of doing that. And so I think most of us do stay that support, you know, that we can build through through the kind of relationships that WellSpouse can offer, you know, I think helps people in that role and helps them find themselves a little more. Mm. It's real easy to kind of lose track of who you are when your partner's needs become all consuming and you don't feel like you have a choice in that, you know, in, in moving forward with them. And some people don't move forward, right? That's the other piece, you know, well spouse tends to see the people who are sticking out the caregiver yeah. relationship, <laughs> if, if you will, but there are a lot of people who don't and, you know, that's, that's complicated and, you know, it's hard to stand in judgment, um, given how difficult this all is. Um, so, but, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful we do have these resources to make it work for the people who, who make that choice. To, Absolutely. To Absolutely. And I'd love to talk more about kind of the community and, and mm-hmm. um, how kind of isolating this, this role can be and how important finding that community is. But first, we're going to just take a short commercial break and then we'll dive back into the topic. This podcast is brought to you by Home Instead, an honor company. If you find yourself needing extra support as a family caregiver or time away from your caregiving responsibilities, Home Instead can help. 
Our home care services are delivered by compassionate care professionals and range from personal care, meal preparation, and medication management to Alzheimer's care and hospice support. Visit homeinstead.com to learn more and to find a location near you. So Laura, we were just talking about, you know, um, how it's so important for spousal caregivers to plug into a community because caregiving can be so isolating. And we hear that across the board from, you know, all types of caregivers, uh, but specific to spousal caregivers, is there anything in particular that makes this type of caregiving more isolating than other types of caregiving, would you say? Yeah, there are a couple reasons, I think. One is that uh, spousal caregivers tend to be sole caregivers more often than other caregiving types. So something like two-thirds of spousal caregivers do all of the caregiving themselves, which is just an enormous physical burden. It's an enormous financial burden. Um, You know, you're more likely to bring somebody in from the outside um, if you are are not having a, if it's not a spousal caregiving relationship. Um, You know, some of that is probably that, that role a shifting that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. that you know it it feels like this is what you signed up for and that this is just what you do because you were married to the person separate from you know whatever caregiving and the illness might be um, sometimes it's a sense of um, of pride and privacy for the person who has the illness so they may mm-hmm. not want somebody to come in which you know as a as a the care partner is it's hard to hear because yeah. I think they don't always appreciate the the patient if you will does not always appreciate how isolating this is you know it it it's not just their journey it's also our journey and mm. you know that that can be a really uh, difficult thing to deal with that, that does come up sometimes uh, for people in, in our community that you know their partner doesn't want them to talk about the experience or to get help or to bring in other people and that's that's really hard and contributes to that that feeling of of isolation um, we also, as spousal caregivers, we are less likely to qualify for programs that might be applicable to people in other kinds of caregiving relationships um, because, you know, we're married to them. <laughs> but I think, you know, the, some of the, the government programs um, and probably commercial programs as well assume that, you know, because we have uh, generally signed up for financial responsibility um, by virtue of, of getting married to the person that this is kind of our problem to solve. So there are programs where, for instance, um, caregivers that are children of people with illness might be eligible to get paid for the caregiving services they provide, but a spouse can't. Okay. And at the same time, the spouse is less likely to be working because you know it's very expensive mm-hmm. to provide care. Somebody has to do it and they can't afford to, uh, to have a third party do it. So um, it's it's a very it can be a very difficult situation, and then a lot of services are available for people that are older. Um, you know the um, different associations and government programs are are targeted towards people who are in in older age brackets, mm-hmm. and so there isn't always a lot of help for that you know subset of people. The fifty percent of people who are under age sixty five, um, they might not qualify for a lot of that programming. So it it wow. can be. It can be very, very difficult. Yeah, those are some really, uh, I think, important uh, call-outs, just mm-hmm. the challenges that spousal caregivers are facing and when it comes to supports and, and finances. And I'd like to just double-click on, on kind of the finances quick, because you've mm-hmm. brought it up a couple times already, uh, that, yeah. that spousal caregiving can take a toll on finances. So can you just share a little bit more about that and how that impacts uh, the caregiving dynamic and also just the caregiving uh, journey? Yeah, so 
at the most basic level in a spousal caregiving relationship, you often end up with the the person who has the illness or disability not being able to work and the other person, the partner, the care partner, also having to leave the workforce because mm. their, their job or their career um, does not provide sufficient flexibility for somebody who might need you know, hours and hours of, of caregiving each day. Yeah. You know, when you think about the cost of um, 24-hour care in, you know, a lot of metro areas, which can be north of $100,000 a year and well north of $100,000 a year, um, and you think of the average salary that most people make, you know, the, the math just does not work out. And the piece that a lot of people forget, too, on that is that illness is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things are not covered by insurance. And, you know, you have a lot of specialized needs that uh, other families don't have. And so you have the the double impact of both the loss of income from one or, or both people, as well as the increased expenses due to uh, illness and the resources you need. Thank you so much, Laurel, for sharing those additional insights and, and the impacts that uh, it can have on a person's finances. I know we see, mm-hmm. you know, Throughout the various types of caregiving, sometimes people having to maybe step back from their employment situation or make modifications. But um, I, you, you really kind of gave some good insights into why a person might need to stop working to care full time mm-hmm. if they're a spousal caregiver or caring for a partner. So, so thank you for sharing that. And um, I know we've also one of the other things we've been talking about is kind of that emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've you've painted a picture of kind of all of the various emotions that go into caregiving. But I know sometimes we like to focus on like the challenges and the negatives. What are some of the positives emotions associated <laughs> yeah. with the caregiving role? Because I hope it's not, you know, all kind of wah, wah, doom and gloom. I hope that there's some positive aspects yeah. of it. Yeah, this is the uh, tying things up with a bow, as one of my uh, lost best <laughs> friends refers to it, um, which is such a <laughs> strong temptation, I think. Um, so, it is very difficult, but there are—I would say—there are positive benefits. I think for me, it's made me a very different person um, than I was. Things that uh, used to be used to feel very important and overwhelming—you know—I have a very different view on when things in our house are literally life and death, as they often are. Um, you know, so that's one one thing that um, I'm interested in seeing how it kind of plays out over the yeah. rest of my, my, my life to see, you know, how, how taking this, this journey has, uh, has changed that kind of fundamental um, part of me. Um, I've learned acceptance and meeting people where they are. Mm. You know, there's a lot about illness and disability that people can't give you what you want. And so you have to go to where they are. Um, and that I think is a, a very positive thing. Um, I've also, I think, learned how to sit with people in grief. I think, you know, as a as a nation and probably mm. as a world, we are not very good at that. No, <laughs> uh, we like to we like to fix things. We like people to feel better. We like to. Um, you know, we like to be there for the good parts, and it's very hard to be there for the bad parts. I think people are afraid of saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. or causing more damage, or they don't know what to do, and they do nothing, and that's that's tough, you know. So I think, I, I hope that my friends and family and people around me would say that I have an increased ability to sit with people going through very difficult things and and be there with them and for them and not... And and give them what they need instead of what I am able to give them. <laughs> mm. So I, I think those are a few positives that um, 
people can find along the way, um, you know, even among uh, some really difficult times. And, and there are moments of real joy, even, even when my husband's in the hospital, you know, it resets your, this kind of journey resets your expectations so that the bright spots shine more brightly than mm. they might otherwise. You know, there, my husband, all he can move independently at this point is his head and neck. Uh, the rest of his body cannot move, but we still have dance parties. Mm -hmm. We will put on, you know, the Pandora stations he likes and he'll sing the songs to me and, you know, I'll come in and I'll see him moving his head around. And that brings me such joy in that minute. You know, there was probably a time, you know, six, eight, 10 years ago where that would have caused intense sadness because I would have seen all he lost. Mm -hmm. And instead in those moments now, I can see what he still has. And mm -hmm. that's, really beautiful. That is really beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, and, uh, I, I don't mean to pry into people's personal yeah. lives, no, I, but I know, that, <laughs> yeah. I know that, you know, when, when you're caring for a spouse, it does change. We talked about the relationship dynamics and, mm -hmm. and, and an added layer to that. And this is something we get asked a lot. And I think it's because mm -hmm. people don't want to talk about it mm -hmm. is the intimacy between yep. <laughs> a, a, a spousal caregiver and the person they're caring for. And so yep. you can talk in generalities, you can talk whatever, yep. however you'd like about it. But <laughs> I would just love your yeah. thoughts and perspectives in the interactions you've had with fellow spousal caregivers. Yep. How does this play out? Uh, and how does it impact the journey? Right. So this, this topic, I'm so glad you're bringing it up because this at the end of the day, I think is really the one people are most afraid to talk about, even in our community. And it's, it really is the one that sets apart spousal or this kind of caregiving from other kinds of caregiving, Absolutely. right? Most people marry with the, or are partnered um, with the intention of having an intimate relationship mm -hmm. and usually one of them. <laughs> and, you know, illness and disability has a way of, of throwing a real wrench into, into the nature of that that relationship. And it can be more complicated than, you know, what you might initially think of, which is the person with the illness, you know, has a physical or emotional or, you know, whatever reason that they aren't um, able to participate in that kind of relationship. It could be the partner that has those challenges. It could be that the partner's disease causes a loss of cognitive ability, for instance, so mm -hmm. that your partner may become what feels very childlike to you. And that's very distressing to try and, and build and create or maintain an intimate relationship with a person who, you know, seems childlike and seems like, frankly, a different person than the person you married. Um, mm. We also see in some of these diseases um, that there can be behavioral changes. For instance, in uh, Parkinson's disease, you know, we're aware that that can, in some cases, cause hypersexuality with the person who has the illness. And that can, you know, combined with behavioral changes, can be tremendously off-putting to the partner, mm. you know, that, that they don't feel that the, the person they're in this relationship with wants them for them. It's, you know, a function of their disease and it's distressing. Um, so the, yeah, the intimate relationship and the, the loss of that, and it doesn't happen to everyone, which is, yeah. is terrific news, <laughs> but it does happen to an awful lot of people. And there is tremendous shame in talking about it. And frankly, there aren't a lot of great answers. Yeah. You know, I, I remember early on, you know, we, the Eddie's particular disease organization had put together a pamphlet on, on, 
you know, preserving an intimate relationship. And, you know, I, I found it recently now going through some papers, uh, you know, not too long ago, and it, none of it would apply to us now. You know, mm-hmm. this is a guy who can't move his anything but his head. You know, there yeah. there isn't a, a room, there isn't room for, you know, gentle touches or, you know, whatever yeah. other ideas sounded good, um, you know, to put in this, this pamphlet. So, it's, it's an area that, um, you know, in some ways, the best we can do is just to continue to talk about it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully people will understand they are not alone and that their needs matter. You know, mm-hmm. I think in, in, it can be, you feel, people feel a lot of guilt and shame around having physical needs in the midst of, of all of this illness. And, and they are, they're human needs. You know, that need for connection is a human one, and it doesn't go away. In fact, in a lot of ways, it probably only increases when you're going through the kind of stress um, and, you know, trauma that this kind of caregiving role can can create. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing and for being vulnerable and for indulging sure. me in this in somewhat <laughs> taboo topic. But yeah, I mean, to no, your it's point, an important one. yeah, it's so important. And you know, we all have that desire to be loved and mm-hmm. cared for and nurtured. And when you're providing most of the care and not getting that back, that's really, really hard. And so mm-hmm. um, I know that, you know, for some folks, intimacy changes. For some, it might be temporarily put on hold or permanently mm-hmm. put on hold. But um, I'm glad that, that you know, we're creating a little bit of space to talk about mm-hmm. it. We could probably talk a whole hour just on that yeah. topic. Yep. <laughs> and maybe we will someday. I'll have you back I on. Hope so. <laughs> Um, but we, you've talked about, you know, the term guilt, uh, mm-hmm. the emotion of guilt quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often hear caregivers say, you know, I feel bad that I'm not doing enough or yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not enough for the other people in my life that aren't the care recipient. Mm-hmm. I, yep. You know, there's so many uh, ways that guilt can show up. And so <laughs> feel your failing people yeah. <laughs> all around you. Yes. Yeah. So how yep. how would you maybe say or do you have any tips for caregivers on you know, how they can manage that guilt or uh, ways that uh, you can kind of cope with that along the journey. Yeah. So one, and I think this is a really important one, is to not compound it by feeling guilty. You're feeling guilty. Yeah. <laughs> it's You need to know that this is a really, really human emotion, really human to feel, you know, and, and what we are doing is not the work of, it can't be the work of one person. You're not going to meet the moment at 100%, 100% of the time for years and years and years and years. You know, you you will fail your partner in some small way, maybe in some large way. You will fail the other people in your lives, in your life, you know, the family and friends around you. Um, the, the guilt is hard to avoid, and it's hard to talk people out of, um, Except, you know, there is a real role, I think, in telling them it's normal. They, mm-hmm. That's often something we hear when people first come into our support groups or, you know, to one of our events, that they are feeling this guilt, and is that okay? And, man, do I jump in there fast. Like, yes, that <laughs> is totally okay, totally normal. You are not alone in, in feeling, you know, that, that guilt and shame are, are such a pervasive part of this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it this is more than one person could ever do for many of us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we are all doing the best we can and we will do it imperfectly because we're human and that's what humans yes. do. So yes. I think just knowing that, that it is a normal part of the experience. And I, I think that also then helps with the, the feeling that you can only take time away or, or, 
you know, continue doing the things you're doing without guilt. Like it, it I think that can be a waste of time. Don't try and eliminate the guilt. Just know mm. that it's going to be there and mm. just keep going. You know, it, it, it's never, it, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to, to try and, and eliminate that emotion when that's all it is. It's an emotion, move past it and do what you're going to do anyway. Mm. You know. Well, thank you for sharing some some thoughts on that. And, and um, yeah, yeah not, none of us are perfect. And right. uh, we all fall short in various ways at various times. And so um, I, I think that it's great that you encourage caregivers, you know, in a way, almost like accept that there's going to be guilt. Normalize it. Yeah. yeah. And normalize, normalize it. it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and just coming from the world of, of home care, I also see mm-hmm. a lot of guilt. And you, you made mention of this earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Caregivers feel guilty bringing in outside help and support. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you see that within the well spouse community with amongst your fellow spousal caregivers and any advice on how to mm-hmm. navigate maybe that guilt or resistance that might yeah. they might face? Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is one I, we do talk about a lot again in our support groups that kind of the logistical points of when is the right time to bring in somebody. And what I always say is that if you're asking, if you need to bring in somebody, you probably should. You're at that point. (laughs) You're probably a little beyond that point where you need additional help. And yeah, you can, you can feel again, like you're, you're not meeting the moment. You ought to be able to do all of this, but we all need breaks and uh, having, having care at home, you know, can give you that break. And, you know, you might still be around the house and your partner might still want you doing the work, but it, it can just provide that sense that you're not quite so isolated. I I couldn't live the life I do without the care that I have in my home, and it doesn't mean it's easy. You know, mm-hmm. we've I have I'm tremendously fortunate to have a really trusted caregiver. She's been with us for years now. She works you know many hours a week with us, and it allows me to run errands. It allows me to work. It allows me to take breaks. Um, it's even allowed me to travel from time to time. And I know that's unique. I don't say any of that to to brag. I guess I make that point. To because it, I probably have kind of the ideal setup here, and it's still the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. And she's an incredibly important part of my team too, not just my partner's team. You know, that's something too that we we hear a lot is the partner doesn't want to bring somebody in, and you know, we talk about different strategies for, you know talking to your partner about how the the aid or the the care worker that you might bring in from the outside isn't just for them mm. it's really for you too you know yeah. i need a break yes. <laughs> this is a person that can help me you know this isn't a person who's coming here to help you and that can help kind of bridge that that tough time when you might first be introducing um a paid or unpaid caregiver to you know, your, your marital relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, of course, and having somebody into your home, uh, into that care mm-hmm. environment is very personal. And so yeah. I, that's another reason um, that I think we see a lot of times resistance or hesitance is, oh gosh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want a stranger in my home, but as mm-hmm. you alluded to, yeah. they quickly become part of the care team, part of the family and uh, yeah. can become so helpful. So um, mm-hmm. I think that that tip you gave of sharing, you know, it's this isn't just for you. It's also for me as mm-hmm. your care partner um, can hopefully mm-hmm. help maybe open their mind to the benefits that it can mm-hmm. have. Right. Um, well, and we've again, we've been talking about all the complexities that come along with um <laughs> you know, spousal caregiving and, you know, on social media, you can list your relationship status as complicated. I remember when that first came out, I thought it was hilarious, yep. um, but it's, yep. it can be true for spousal caregivers. And it's we've, true. we've touched on it a little yeah. bit, but um, any other yeah. thoughts on, 
on this. And and I think one thing you touched on earlier that was super interesting and maybe you could just expand briefly on is is divorce mm-hmm. and maybe caring for mm-hmm. an ex-spouse. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, from time to time in, in home care is they're calling for care mm-hmm. for their ex-spouse uh, to kind of help yeah. out the 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 children or, or whatnot. So anyway, I would love for you to maybe yeah. share a little more about that because I'm very intrigued. Yeah, so I, I would look at that in kind of two different ways. One is that, you know, these are marriages first, right? Mm-hmm. And not all marriages last. And so there are, uh, you know, a lot of people, the caregiving piece in on top of the, um, you know, what might be a troubled uh, relationship or marriage will lead to, you know, kind of a typical divorce. The, you know, we're better off not as partners. Um, I, I talked about this earlier that uh, for a number of partners, we see financial divorces, though, mm. which is a way of, um, you know, th- there is still love there and there is still a desire to be that person's primary intimate, you know, partner or have that primary intimate relationship. But for financial reasons, it's better for them not to be together. It gives the person with the illness um, more access to resources and services that they can't have if they stay married. Um, that seems to be, uh, it's not entirely uniquely American, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it is kind of a, a function of, uh, unfortunately, of, um, you know, some the lack of resources, I guess, for people in this situation here, that they that that um, path becomes a reasonable one. And you know, the people who have to choose that route generally are heartbroken to have yeah. to go down that road. They do not want to be getting that divorce. And so, if they're reaching out to you for care, they're probably doing it because they still very much have, uh, or to to bring in caregivers. They still have, you know, that committed caring relationship that they they want to provide for this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there are people though too who pr- care for exes that they don't like anymore too. <laughs> so, you know, these relationships really can take can take all forms. You know, that's why we we do feel it's an important, um, you know, uh, subset of our our membership that you know you are not cast out from the Wells Fast community just because you are no longer uh, a spouse who wants to have that kind of committed caring relationship. We know there are you know the caregiving relationship and illness complicates things as you said and um you know there's there's room for all kinds of relationships with your primary partner here in our community well thank you for sharing more about that i really to be honest hadn't really thought about the kind of financial uh Mm -hmm. reasons for divorce and so that just really opens my eyes to it and i i look forward to learning more about that so thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. and i know well spouse you've referenced it so much throughout our Mm -hmm. time together Mm -hmm. today it seems like such a fabulous resource and um be you know uh how have you what i guess can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with well spouse what if somebody wanted to engage what kind of things could they expect? I know you have a great website, so maybe share that first and we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So our our website is wellspouse.org. So keep it easy. And the things you can expect from joining us are uh, peer support, events, and resources to make caregiving um, less complicated and easier for you. The peer support piece is important. So I'll touch on that briefly. Um, We are not an organization that, you know, hires professional facilitators to lead our support groups. You know, we do bring in experts for events. um, But we are all either current or former caregivers. And so spousal caregivers. And so we have been in everyone's shoes. Um, You know, the diseases might be different. um, The path might be different. Our ages might be different. But underneath it all, there's the common 
experience and emotional journey that many of us are on. So that is, you know, why I want to just touch on what we provide. You know, if you are in an immediate crisis, um, you know, or in need of, of um, you know, care from professionals, we shouldn't be your first stop. That's, you know, we are volunteers volunteering our time uh, almost exclusively to to be a community that well spouses can get support from. Um, the way I found it and the way a lot of people find it is we have more than uh, 30 different support group meetings each month. And before COVID, they were almost all in person around the country, around the U.S., um, and now many of them are on Zoom and many of them have gone back to being in person. So you can find both, um, you know, you can find groups that meet your geographic needs if you want, you know, a local community around you, which was really important to me. Um, but you can also find people across the country who are going through similar <laughs> things. Um, and almost all of our groups are all ages, all diseases, um, you know, all comers. Um, but we do have uh, two groups specifically for former well spouses. Um, so those are people whose partners have either passed or they have divorced their partners, as we talked about, or separated from them, living separately. And then we have two groups that are specific for our younger well spouses. And those are generally people in their 20s to 50s who, you know, have some some unusual needs um, from the broader well spouse community. We might still be raising kids. We are still in the workforce. You know, we haven't had the opportunity maybe to have the financial resources build up over time because, you know, we were diagnosed in our 20s. Um, so those needs can be a little different. But anyone can join any of these meetings if they they feel they are useful. And then we do you know interesting events that are topical to to well spouses. So for instance, earlier this year we had a movie discussion on uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is uh, it was a new Netflix adaptation of a classic novel, and you know it, it had many caregiving themes and discussion about intimacy within a, a relationship with somebody who's disabled. And we all got together to talk about it and, you know, shed some light on our approach, I guess, a, a current event or current, you know, something in the movies mm -hmm. <laughs> in a little different way with um, a little different audience. We're about to do a book discussion this weekend. We've done a couple of our respites that we do each year. And then this fall, we will have our annual conference um, and it will be online this year. We have a terrific speaker lineup so far. Uh, so I'm very excited about putting that together. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing more about Well Spouse, and I hope everyone will go check out the website, wellspouse.org. Um, and uh, Laurel, I want to thank you for joining me. Before I let you go, if mm -hmm. people were to remember one piece of advice or one mm -hmm. tidbit yeah. from today's discussion, what would you want them to remember? Yeah, I want to go right to that feeling of isolation and tell people that they aren't alone. They may feel alone. They may feel especially alone in the middle of the night when <laughs> things are going wrong and your husband or wife is not feeling well or, you know, and you can't reach any of the resources you need and you can't call people you want to call, you know, in those those dark hours of the morning, if you need to Google, you know, come find Well Spouse or, or find another community. If this fit isn't right, find find people who can be around you and support you through this uh, this difficult journey so that you don't feel that sense of being alone. What a great piece of advice to end today's discussion on. And Laurel, thanks for all you do to come alongside other spousal caregivers and care partners. I know that the work and the um, just advocacy and energy you put into this is so important. And I just, again, want to say thank you. I want to thank Laurel for sharing her story and insights. I know so many of you listening can likely relate and have your own story about caring for a spouse or partner. 
I would encourage you to email me with your thoughts, stories, and advice for spousal caregivers. My email address is caregiverchats at homeinsteadinc.com. That's caregiverchats at homeinsteadinc.com. I hope you will join me for the next episode, which is the third podcast in our three-part series about caregiving relationships. In this episode, I'm going to chat with fellow gerontologist and caregiver April Ibarra about caring for non-immediate relatives. That would be people like an aunt, cousin, neighbor, or friend. I really hope you'll tune in. I also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Home Instead Inc. Again, that's Home Instead I-N-C. There you'll find previews of upcoming episodes, caregiving tips, and more. And all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and please remember to take good care of yourself while you're caring for others. Caregiver Chats is brought to you by Home Instead. If you're looking for in-home care to support you on your caregiving journey, please visit homeinstead.com slash caregiverchats to learn more.